Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, wherever you're listening. It's nice to have you along for the Bridge Church podcast. We've got a special treat for you. Um, the past two Sunday evenings, we've been doing our equip series, looking at Matthew 9 and 10. And we've been thinking about how to reach out to our local community, to our friends, to our family with the good news of Jesus. And I have Graham Daniels here with me. I spent a year at Christians in Sport where Dano is the managing director. Is that the right, the right term? Uh, works for Christians in Sport. Identity yeah. managing director. Um, <laughs> you get a bit of jib for that. Yeah, so I, I was privileged to spend a year there. Massively shaped me. Thought I would go there for a year, go back to Northern Ireland. And yet here I am. Um, somehow God's brought me to the Bridge Church. So it is a wonderful privilege to have been involved for a year and still ongoing in the work but Dano tell us a little bit about yourself why why do you think we've got you on this podcast who are you where are you from tell us I think, you've, tell something. I think you've got me on the podcast because really you should be you should be this side of the bridge and I should be the other that's why <laughs> you just did it to make me envious that I can't be at home uh, I lived in um, I lived in Roth Park area for, for five or six years uh, through uni and football, late teens, early 20s. Love Cardiff very much. Uh, well, as you said, David, uh, my work's with Christians in sport. Uh, I'm at St. Andrew the Great or Stag in Cambridge as well, working there. Um, and I first heard the gospel, well, I heard the gospel when I was in my teens, but, I, but the two of the biggest influences in the process of God's kindness to me were a couple of brothers who were undergrads at Cardiff when I was a student, um, Steve and Andy, um, both in the soccer team, I played in the football team in my final year, and both unashamed of Christ. Um, and it was a big influence on me uh, as, a, as a final year undergrad. Um, and I became a Christian a year after that, within a year of that, when I'd left Cardiff to go and play in Cambridge. So. Uh, huge fond memories and love for Cardiff. Uh, and I'm here, I suppose, because of that uh, evangelistic Christians in sport meets my own church in Cambridge perspective uh, and to share it in a conversation with you about how it's going with you. Yeah, I, I suppose that's helpful to lead into the conversation, but what's been the biggest encouragement during this time whenever it comes to sharing faith? Because the pandemic obviously... Mm-hmm. There's lots of opportunities, but there's also lots of challenges. So maybe share some sort of encouragement there's been over the past seven months. Well, well inevitably, what's freshest in one's mind is what's happening right now. And, and the, the day before you and I are having this conversation, so yesterday, <laughs> um, I, I went for a long walk with uh, somebody I, I barely knew uh, as, it, as it is in life, isn't it? Somebody involved in sport and the media who... Um, I've known for some years, but don't really have a friendship with, and just kept in touch through the lockdown. Yeah. It just made a deliberate decision that if you weren't seeing people, there's a range of people that you might actually know, but have hardly spent time with in any formal way, and decide to pray for that person perhaps, and, and build a bridge. And the longer the lockdown has gone, now we're in, in England anyway, in the second one, yeah. um, it, it culminated in just him saying should we fancy a walk because you can walk one-to-one here at the moment so yeah. we went for a walk and I found out lots about his background in his life and and he, he talked a bit about his understanding of God and volunteered that so 
I think one of the great encouragements has been the chance to stop, not be so busy, um, and actually have the chance to build local relationships, perhaps in a way that I mightn't have mm. uh, previously. But I think even if you if you are building them formally and locally, there are new opportunities. Yeah. It's funny that you say, you know, a chance to slow down. It took two weeks to get you booked in. So obviously you've slowed down a little bit, but not massively. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. That's, that's encouraging, isn't it? Just the opportunity to, you said you just, send the message was were intentional with your time and see what the lord does yes uh, i mean the, everybody has found their own way for this haven't they or exposed their own way for me it's been has been straightforward and it ties in with your comment zoom is obviously the the, the normative way of meeting now yeah uh, and as everybody else you get overwhelmed with the fact that there's no oxygen really you just go to the next zoom call and there's no going for a walk or jumping on a train or driving the car somewhere on the bike so that's been a change one of the things that's worked for me is as i said because my work generally does mean it's a parachurch setting so i'm moving yeah. uh, being at home has become overwhelming at times because there is too much too much happening on your computer yeah. which normally you wouldn't have and, and one of the early things that worked for me was saying uh I'm going to go for a couple of hours in the middle of the day and get a break in and go for a walk. Yeah. Uh, and then I thought I'll ask people to come for a walk with me. Yeah. So, so actually that conversation I've had yesterday was a result of a deliberate policy to go for a walk and to go for a walk and have some company because it's quite lonely, isn't it? The Zoom thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so small, small gains, but I think local churches and individuals deciding I'm, I'm not going to be crushed by this, but I'm going to actually build longer term friendships and see if there's depth in them now that I have time maybe a positive yeah and I think that's what I find interesting about you know we recognize ourselves that we're spending too much time on the screens so we go out for walks and we mm. have the spirit of Jesus in us mm. so if someone who doesn't have Christ in them they're of mm. course going to be feeling similar if they're not going to be able to pray communicate with God of course yeah. they're going to be keen for some sort of human interaction aren't they yeah yes uh, uh, absolutely and and i i won't waste the time of the conversation but i i agree with you completely to have christ in us by his spirit that gives you a comfort that is impossible to achieve without the spirit of christ in us without our savior and we we get lonely it, those of us who are in that sort of knowledge work and sitting in your house and and on your computer so it's a tremendous opportunity to, to, to serve others and at the same time they're not mutually exclusive you build friendships genuine friendships yourself that you might never have done so good in that sense very positive times i think yeah and there's the sacrifice involved in that of course to actually give up your time in some ways because going going out for a walk by yourself as you say is lonely but it's always challenging whenever you might be going out with someone who might not necessarily be as easy company as your wife or someone someone you're close to and some yes sense. yeah that's right but then equally <laughs> i'm probably not such great company but then <laughs> probably the other way around uh, um well you sure you've touched on sort of the difference in terms of sharing our faith at this time could you maybe give us an insight into what hasn't changed in the past seven months whenever it comes to sharing sharing our faith with those who don't know jesus yet yeah 
Well, well, unless you're unusual, and there are one or two I've met in my life in terms of evangelism, and I have met people who almost seem they have no fear, uh, and I could regale you with those tales, you know, because they're, they're mind-boggling, really. Most of us, most of us have varying degrees of, uh, of nerves about talking to somebody about Jesus. And, and on one level, we sometimes say, well, of course, if it's a friend or a colleague, it's easier. And then others say, well, it actually, if it's a stranger, it's easier. And we oscillate between both, depending on how little we want to do it. Um, I don't think that's changed. I, I think I, I'll stick to that example, perhaps, because it's practical. I'll stick to that example from, from yesterday. It, it was an enjoyable conversation with a very nice chap who, who I've got a lot of respect for professionally and what he does. And he's, an, he's a good people person. He, he asks questions about you as, and it's reciprocal. So, you know, really nice chap to go for a walk with. But has undergone some family tragedy in the last couple of years. Um, and that moment of crossing the bridge where he hinted, I'll make it very practical, he hinted at me that he has two people who are his best friends, a married couple have been his best friends for 30 years. They live quite far from him. They've not failed to be in touch with him every week in the last 18 months after going through a family tragedy. Wow. And then he volunteered to me. And of course, like you, they're really keen Christians, was his phrase. They're really keen Christians. <laughs> I, I must say, he said, though I have very little um, belief myself, it's, it, they're impressive people and consistent with that. Now, at that moment, all of us know we have an alternative. We have a fork in the road. You make an emotional, psychological, pastoral, relational decision. Do I actually pursue that comment about not sure about God, but liking Christian people? Mm. Or do I let the man keep talking or go in a different direction with the conversation? I didn't pursue his comment about his friends to the point of saying that's interesting that you like your friends but you're not sure you believe in god mm. i didn't do it and afterwards i thought to myself mm, uh, should i have gone down that route it was a fork in the road they come up a lot in the end i don't think i bottled it dave i don't think so i i think because we've never talked at length mm. and he's clearly a very nice guy and wanting to meet again and we've got a month's lockdown as we start stand sit here yeah, now we'll meet again yeah. um, but sorry that's a long tale but i think what i've recognized the longer i've lived and thought about these things is we have many forks in the road in our lives if we are willing to pray and make time any time to talk to people about life mm. and it's what decision we make at the fork in the road that never gets easier in terms of what Rico Tice calls the pain line, crossing the pain line to ask the next question about what they say about God or the Christian faith. Yeah, and it's interesting in some ways, those fork in the road moments is the Matthew 10 stuff of sort of staying consistent, being in people's lives, being real, being normal, yeah. and trusting that he's the Lord of the harvest. And as you say, being aware of your situation, that it's a month's lockdown, you'll see yeah. him again. And, you know, pray, well, I don't know, praying and saying, Lord, sorry if that was a missed opportunity, yeah. I would love another one. Yes. Be kind and gracious. 
That, that's that's right. I, and I don't know, you, you're steering our conversation, but I'm living in the practicality of that now as I'm processing it with you. And I'm thinking a part of me, I say to my, myself when I think about these things, no, be braver than this. Um, you may not have this conversation again. You may never get near to this again. So when it does arise, if one's default mode is not to go with a fork in the road towards God, then I do think it's probably more sensible as a rule to, to have a rule of thumb that says, well, I will ask him if he's volunteered to me as a Christian, something about not being sure about believing in God. The simple next step, Jesus in question, to, to say, oh, that's interesting that you admire Christian friends, but you don't believe in God. Do you want to say more about that or do you want to keep that for another day? Even to give that option is to respect the person's statement. And I think I'm exaggerating. Mm -mm. I, I'm elaborating on the fact that praying and encouraging each other to follow the narrative into a God question is probably the sensible, normal thing to do, brave thing to do. Yeah, I think for me personally, hearing that, I'm also aware of what I'm like in temperament. And I, I often need to think I'm probably more prone to be a people pleaser. So I'm going to want to avoid awkwardness, difficult conversations. So there's moments where I think, oh, it would be, I don't want to go down that route because it's going to be too hard. And that's, yeah. that's not wisdom. That's, that's fear and not faith. Yeah. So sort of, there's that sort of the fork in the road. You also need to know your temperament. Some of us would always be like, I'll get them next time. I'll get them next time. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's really good, Dave. And I think temperament's a massive question here. Um, so, so often a person who's, who's perhaps a people pleaser in a slightly different way, you and I might be quite similar, I think. Um, people who have, there's strengths in it, of course, because people want to spend time with you. You know, that goes with that a bit. There's a, yeah, there's a gentler type of people pleasing, I think in a way which is somebody who's dis if you if you're disposed to people first project second mm -hmm. you can be more of an extrovert people person or more of an introvert one so a different type of a second of two seems to me type of people person is somebody who's very very kind very few words very thoughtful people know they love them and do pour out lots to them yeah more than a talker, you know, a, a person-oriented talker like me. Yeah. And they too face the dilemma of not holding their nerve to cross the pain line to say, you've told me a lot about how that hurts. And you've said one or two things about how God might be in it. Could I ask you specifically what you make of God? Hmm. There's a courage in that, isn't there? Yeah. You say very little, but you almost say too little sometimes as well. So it's a good challenge to all of us who are people-orientated first, uh, that we probably, for the sake of the other person, yeah. actually, this is the big deal, isn't it? The, the Christian sacrifice for the sake of the other person to dare to ask them to elaborate is actually to serve. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting, isn't it? Because some of us naturally don't don't want to serve or want to be looking at my own heart want to be self selfish and not take up my yeah. cross i suppose the 
I mean, always you're sort of weighing up in your head, aren't you? The what's what's the gain and what's to lose? And a lot of situations, very few people will say, "I never want to talk to you again" after asking a simple question about yes. what do you make of God. Um, yes, I, 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 and I'm sure this is the kind of thing because you told me you've been looking at Matthew nine and ten, and you know we're right in the weeds of it now. But it's healthy, I think, isn't it? That when you are in these kind of specific areas of conversation there is something about simply saying i'm not going to negotiate on my behalf or the other person's behalf here mm. if you sit on a train or a bus so i don't know you're waiting for the bus to come or whatever often you get in conversations with people if you're not a particularly quiet person you might say oh the weather's terrible isn't it and off you go and then if the bus is late and the bus should come in two minutes and you know you'll get on the bus and it was not awkward to have a conversation about the weather. But if the bus now is 10 minutes late, neither of you knows how to carry on the conversation. <laughs> you can't now shut up because you've started talking, but you're going to run out of things. First. We spend our lives making adaptions, forks in the road. Mm. Shall I go on talking? Shall I not? That's exhausted a conversation. I don't know this person. Let me ask another question. Mm. We make these questions these frameworks all the time. So I, I think with gospel conversations, there is something about saying, I'm really going to listen hard to what this person says. I'm going to, the four comes, I'm going to throw out a question that leads them in the direction of what they said about faith, God, life, meaning. Mm. If they come back with an answer, I'll follow it again. And then there's another fork and I'll follow it again and I'll keep following it. The moment I get the intuition that this is now a, a dead dead conversation it's going nowhere now mm. and of course in your brain you're saying particularly talkative people can do this they say oh, okay well there we are then well anyway where are you getting the bus to today yeah we're going to see the more we are normal uh, and, and i think this is what you hinted at earlier I, i've said to myself for 30 years the more you refuse to listen to the lie from hell that it's okay to say stuff about God or to ask questions and then to fork in the road if people just don't want to go there hmm. no chance that that person a month later is going I'm keeping away from him because he <laughs> dared to ask me one question about God they won't if you know they don't want to go there and then you ask about where they're visiting today they won't think you're awkward but all of hell says you've now put them off forever it is a lie and we have to call it for what it is isn't it it's a lie it's a yeah. lie yeah, it's interesting, totally off topic, but I've been reading 1 Samuel in my quiet times and there's a bit in 1 Samuel where David listens to his heart instead of to the Lord and his heart's deceitful. So he goes down a bad path and you think, how often in our evangelism do we listen to our deceptive, foolish heart rather than the gospel? Yeah. Um, to sort of carry on the conversation, you're having conversations with this guy about life everything going on at the moment how does the good news of jesus speak specifically into you know this pandemic this mm. everything that's going on in the world at the moment how mm. does it address people's need mm. I, I think there's a big shift in our culture so if we take a big and a small picture here i, I mean David, it's gone from my generation. I'm 58, so I think it's been in. It started in my generation, the sort of postmodern, yeah. you know, posh language. But there is no truth, yeah. basically. Um, 
there really isn't any truth out there, not, not scientific truth or moral truth, there's no truth. Um, I think the consequences of that arising in effectively the 70s and 80s, when I'd have been you know, student age, school student age, um, I think it, it's a real problem. So my, my very specific answer culturally now is in this lockdown period, I think we've got to start relearning not to talk about how do you feel about God or what are your feelings or what do you feel? There's, a, there's an intelligence, an emotional intelligence in recognizing that that's how we've been trained to think. And anyone under 50 now listening to me will, will probably won't even understand what I'm saying because all the ways we're trained to think and talk and discuss is about how you feel, what's your opinion, where are you coming from on this? How does this feel in your life? What difference does it make to... I think we need to recapture, particularly in lockdown, a deep-seated belief that there is a God. Mm. And I think learning to try and talk as if it's not my opinion. Yes. And we, a bit like our previous conversation, we often think, well, if I say that, they'll think I'm just odd. Mm. But of course, it's actually true that there is a God. And there's a, something about the confidence in the gospel that says, no, this is the truth. Mm. And he did come and he did live and die. And I think to remind oneself in prayer that this is true, our father is in heaven and his name is to be hallowed and his kingdom is to come, has come and will come. There's something I think in the most uncertain world in the 58 years I've been alive, there's never been such uncertainty. And I, I hazard to guess for most people who weren't around in the war, which is very few now, or have been in combat somewhere, this is the most uncertain period in history. Mm. And when a woman or a man knows Christ personally, but doesn't project that this is just for me, it works for me, it gives me peace in the lockdown, that's fine but a belief that God really is there and he really, really does care about us. Mm. I'm not sure if I'm being clear, but I think that's become more important than ever in this lockdown period because nobody has anywhere to go and we can break through to beyond this world with comfort, actually. Mm. And I think if I'm understanding what you're saying is that whenever people talk about hope, in the world around us it's very uncertain whereas the christian hope is built on a rock the house won't move whenever the storms come which is you know that's that's the comfort of the gospel isn't it i know even from times of my rugby teammates whenever they've asked me questions about you know what i believe or whatever they say oh fair play i wish i could believe in something with such certainty because they just don't feel anything certain in life. I mean, I wish I put it like you. You could have said <laughs> two minutes there by just saying that yourself. That's exactly what I'm saying. I mean, it's precisely. And you can do that again. The lie of hell almost is that you're arrogant if you talk like that. Inside yeah. you, there's a, there's something saying, yeah, but be careful because these people don't believe there's anything. But people are crying out for somebody who's humble and kind and bright, actually, to say, no, 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 I've got complete confidence in God in this. Mm. It's tremendously powerful when it's done with a humble servant heart and a kind heart. That sort of mixture of tremendous conviction and real hope with a gentle spirit. Yeah, which is the, you know, the messengers have to embody the message. That's mm. that's the thing, isn't it? You can't be 
a follower of Christ and walk around arrogant and harsh. Um, so I have sort of summary questions, really, because time's racing away. But how how might you encourage someone to speak of Jesus who is who thinks it's pointless, firstly, and secondly, maybe is just scared to do it. So pick mm. pick your poison, which one you want to do first. Mm-hmm. But encourage someone to speak of Christ who is who thinks it's pointless or is scared to do it. Well, look, we, we, we've been quite detailed in our discussion, so I'm going to tell you a story. Uh, I think I can cover both of them. Uh, David, yeah. I, it's almost certainly a story you know we've had a year together. Um, but if it helps someone listening, I think it can cover both those bases. Um, uh, I first heard the gospel from a peer. My mum was a believer when I was a little boy. Uh, uh, older Welsh people will, will understand this, a sort of Welsh-speaking a Baptist church, 60s and chapel, 60s and 70s, so not evangelical. And so not taught, you know, in that way, but she was a believer. And my dad did certainly trusted Christ before he died, after she had died, some years after she had died. Um, so I, I, I knew the reality of God through Sunday school, well speaking, and my mum, for sure, as a boy, uh, knew there was something different, uh, but it wasn't clear. Uh, I'll keep the story short and sharp, um, but it's about witnessing, and it's about thinking it's not worth it, and thinking that you'd be useless at it anyway, and so on. Uh, the boy who told me about Jesus was a, an 18-year-old boy at my school. When the school cricket team was short, they needed an extra player. It was a last-minute call, and they came up with my name. <laughs> finally took me to the game to Cardiff, to Cowbridge. Oh, I can say it to you, to Cowbridge. Yeah, nice. We were in Netley, and so it was, what, 45, 50 miles. Um, I was the only boy in year 10 on the bus. And I was only on the bus, not because I was any good, but because I would have a cricket kit and I was easy to get my kit and go to the game. So I was third man, if you're sporty, and I didn't bat at all. Uh, he was a good player. Um, and he very kindly sat by me on the minibus to go to the game. So 11 boys, teacher, uh, and I don't know anyone. So I'm on the bus with this boy. Uh, on the way there, a bit of small talk, nice chap, quite quiet. Uh, I say a bit, but not much, because I'm out of my depth on ages at school. They're all six foremost. On the way back, uh, we win the game. He plays well. On the way back, it's a Monday. He asks me what I did at the weekend. Uh, Making a bit of conversation. All the boys are chirpy around me. Uh, I say, I play cricket Saturday. Uh, Nothing Sunday, because everything was closed in Wales in those days. Didn't go to church anymore. Uh, I said, oh, my, my mother went to chapel. My sister, I didn't go because I, I, I don't go anymore. I said, what did you do? Trying to be polite on a Monday. He said, here we come to the punchline. He says, well, I played cricket Saturday. I went to church Sunday. I said, you went to church? Sixth former, upper sixth. Man. <laughs> you know, cool, rugby, cricket. I said, well, what did you go to church for? I said, does your mother still make you go to church? Which would have been what my mum wanted. He said, no, I went to church because I followed Jesus. And he coloured up, blushed. And he must have seen my face, you see, because I just thought, what a muppet. Uh, and my face must have given it away. And it was a very awkward couple of moments and then no conversation really of substance that I can remember. Mm. Okay, here's the punchline. Um 
I was converted when I was 21. Uh, that boy kept in touch with me and befriended me through year 11, lower sixth. When I went to university and to play football in Cardiff, he wrote to me pre-email and all that. He wrote to me before computers. Um, he would call and see me in Cardiff occasionally. When I moved to Cambridge, he kept in touch. When I was converted to Christ, age 21 in Cambridge, uh, I got the story from the girl he later married, who had been going out with at the time, that he had gone home that night and his mum and dad had said, how was the game today? And he said, yeah, good. His mum and dad were Christians. And they said, well, it doesn't look like it was very good. He looked very unhappy. He said, well, I tried to tell a boy on the bus about Jesus. And I really blew it. I really messed it up. Uh, he had never told anyone about Jesus. And he decided that week that he was going to try and tell somebody something about Jesus. But he didn't feel equipped. He'd grown up in a Christian home. He didn't feel equipped, brave enough. He was scared to do it. He had to go with me. And he felt he really blew it. Here's my answer to your question after a long story. If you don't think it's worth it, or you don't think you're good enough at it, let me tell you now that I'm in a conversation with you, Dave, uh, what, 40, 40 odd years later. I was converted at 21, I'm 58. Mm. And humanly speaking, I came to Christ because that man started a ball rolling with somebody I liked, looked up to, hardly knew, but was in my world, crossed paths with me, was kind enough to talk to me on a bus and dared to say something that sounded really stupid about Jesus. He broke all the rules of witnessing, all the rules of intelligent verbal evangelism. He had no apologetics in his locker, nothing. And the Holy Spirit used him. So please, my dear friend, don't despair because if there's one person in heaven, as I'll be in heaven, partly because of that part of God's plan, it's never wasted. It can't be wasted. If you're brave and kind, it can't be wasted. Yeah, I think we should finish there because that was wonderful and encouraging story. Can I can I pray before we close? Oh, brilliant. And it's been a pleasure. I mean, I wish I could see the others involved in the conversation. Uh, it's a pleasure chatting to you, Dave. Top man. Well, we have uh, Tom Hawken and Owen Brown at our church. So, you know, old friends. <laughs> well, everybody else bar them then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let me pray um father thank you so much for the gospel thank you that we're brothers in you thank you mm -hmm. that we're united in the lord jesus and that one day um we will see him face to face lord um what a wonderful mystery it is that you would call us to to serve you serve your gospel so we pray for dano and stag with christians in sport pray that you would give him much grace and much energy for the work that you've given him to do there um, and thank you for him thank you for um Guion and his story of how he spoke of christ um and waited to see what your spirit would do so thank you for the encouragement thank you that because of who you are you have chosen many people to be saved pray that you'd help us all be a part of that work amen amen That's thanks great. dana dave thank you ever so much